Uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus? Exodus chapter 34. Familiar territory here. Moses on the mount. The incident of the golden calf is now in the rear view. And for time's sake, we read from verses 5 to 9. Hear God's word. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Good and, good and gracious God, we are hungry and we are ready for your word. Give us ears to hear and minds that understand and hearts that are ready to live and to do so that we're not just hearers of the word, but doers of it. Reveal yourself to us this morning. Show us Christ in the exposition of scripture. This we pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. This is more of a, a Bible study than it is a sermon. And so you're going to have to have your Bible at the ready. We'll be going from Exodus through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And you'll notice there that the title of my sermon slash Bible study is God's Power and Patience. And before we jump into the topic of His power and patience, let me give you an outline so that you know where we're going. First, a translational note. A translational note. I know that perhaps... Most of you use the ESV, but there are other translations that are in use here, represented in the congregation. So first, the translational note, and then we're going to look at God's power. And finally, God's patience. Again, this Bible study is more about God's patience than His power. But be patient, we'll get there. <laughs> As you notice, the title of the sermon, again, is His Power and patience. Now, on one level, we all know what, what, patience, what patience is, what it is to be, to be patient. But more often than not, we are impatient. We are the, we're the opposite of patient. I have said to myself over the years, patience is a virtue. Time is not meant to hurt you. I am a hasty person. I like to get things done. I like to move on. I often lack patience. I am an impatient person. Perhaps some of you can relate. Throughout Scripture, God then is described as patient. A verse that many of you know, 2 Peter 3.9. In the ESV, reads thus, The Lord is 
not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, I don't mean to belittle your translations. I, I love our translations, the ones that we use, the ESV, the NASB, uh, the New King James Version, and yes, the NIV. They're all well-done translations. I prefer the King James in my devotional reading, and I read to you the New King James. I don't mean to belittle your translations. But listen to a, a few synonyms that are used throughout Scripture for patience. Here they are. God is said to forbear. He is forbearing. Romans 3.25 In His divine forbearance, God passed over sins previously committed. Now, to forbear is to control one's feelings. To, it is to bear up against. To forbear, as you know, is to endure. It is to preserve under pressure. Listen to Romans 9, verse 22. This speaks of God enduring with much patience. And the picture that is painted there is of, of great patience, great forbearance, great endurance. But my favorite, and in my personal opinion, the best translation that comes from my beloved King James, and perhaps you heard it as I read Exodus 34. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 reads, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious and long-suffering. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3. Psalm 86 verse 15 says this, But you, O Lord, you are a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Beloved, He is patient. He is patient with us. He is long-suffering toward you. And you can hear the compound word there. He suffers long. He is long-suffering. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 says this, The Lord will wait the Lord will wait? Isaiah says the Lord will wait. Beloved, God waits for no man. He is almighty God. And yet the psalmist says, and Isaiah says, the Lord will wait. Isaiah tells us that he waits and will wait that he might be gracious to us and to you. Again, this sermon is not so much about the power of God, as it is about God's patience, that He is long-suffering. Now, we turn our attention to His power. No one would deny that God is powerful. If He were not, if He were not powerful, if He were not all-powerful, then He would be impotent. He would not be God. But as God, He is omnipotent. That is, by definition, what it means to be God. 
a, a powerless deity is no deity at all. Now, as we think of God's power, or any of his attributes, really, for that fact, it is essential that we, we keep the, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, it's essential that we keep the creator and creature distinction intact. The creator and creature distinction. Friends, God's great power, his omnipotence, hear me now, is not simply an earthly power to its maximum. As if God's power is simply the strongest earthly strength. No, friends. Power as defined from a human perspective, listen, that's one thing. From the creature's perspective. From an angelic perspective, it is another thing. There are creaturely powers, if you will. But divine power now, divine power is something altogether different. At one level, God's infinite power, His transcendent power, and I'm piling on the synonyms here, His omnipotent power is beyond our ability to understand or even comprehend. In as much as the finite, all of us, cannot take in that which is infinite. By way of comparison, and even the comparison falls short. We are as tiny insects, as ants. And even then, again, the illustration fails because we're still comparing creatures to creatures. Beloved, God's power is other, it is otherworldly. Thus, it is, He is beyond this world and beyond our full comprehension. And so it's not simply strength as we conceive of strength or, or power at its full potential. No, but transcendent and infinite, eternal omnipotence. Well, power that is otherworldly. And that at one level is beyond our ability to even conceptualize. Again, uh, I, quote, uh, I quote this medieval theologian. His name is Anselm of Canterbury. And he wrote this, quote, he said this, that God is that which is greater than can be conceived. God is that which is greater than can be conceived. In other words, whatever it is that we might conceive of as great, God is greater yet still. The most powerful power, God is more powerful yet still. The strongest strength, God is stronger yet still. That said, God displays His divine power. His power is manifest. His power is revealed. It is clearly seen in the things that have been made. The Apostle Paul, he says it like this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Jeremiah the prophet says this. Chapter 10 verse 12, he says that, he has made the earth by His power. He's made the earth by His power. He's established the world by His wisdom. And His strength is displayed in the heavens. Psalm 19, a psalm you're familiar with. The heavens declare the glory of God. They show His handiwork. In other words, they show His power and His glory. And, and all of that, 
all of that by the power of his word. Just imagine with me. By speaking. He created all things by <laughs> simply speaking. If his words are that powerful, then what does that say of his person? What, pray tell, does this imply about the one who speaks? This is a power that is greater than can be conceived. Who, who creates by the power of his word. And then he upholds all things, the book of Hebrews says, chapter 1, by the word of his power. Uh, are there any Spanish speakers in here? No? Maybe? Yes? No? Okay, well, here we go. I love the Spanish word for power. Poderoso. It comes from the Spanish word poder, which means can, or able, or ability. And so, in Spanish, Dios poderoso means powerful God, or sovereign God. Absolute potency, infinite energy, infinite strength, absolute act and action, boundless capacity, potencia y fuerza. Power and force. Uh, turn with me to First Timothy, and I got to get you turning here because you're looking at me, and you need to be in Scripture. <laughs> Keep your finger in Exodus. We've been going all over the place, but First Timothy. All the T's are together in the New Testament. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. First Timothy, chapter six, verse fifteen. Paul, as he as it were, is benedicting. Paul, referring to God, he, that is God, Paul says this, he is the blessed and only, and your translations might say, sovereign. Not a bad translation. But he is the blessed and only, hear the word now, potentate. It's a mouthful. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is a beautiful word. Potentate. That is a beautiful translation. He is blessed. He is the only potentate. NASB, ESV, he is the only sovereign. Not a bad translation, but I love it. It just doesn't do it for me. It just doesn't do it. An experiment. Go look up the Greek word that is used here by Paul. But listen. The King James does it best. He is the blessed and only potentate. The only one who has absolute potency. He is omnipotent. The only one who wields absolute power over all things. All that has been, all that will be, all that could ever be. Dios poderoso, almighty God, the only potentate. And beloved, time would fail us to go through passage after passage in Scripture that speak of the might of God, His power, His potency. In Exodus 15, 6, the power of God was on display in the nation of Egypt. He delivered His people. The power of God that worked miraculous plagues, parting the sea. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1.19. The exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. And we could go on, beloved. 
But I want to take us to one particular place, to one particular expression of God's power, to the power now of his judgment, to the power of his wrath, to the power of his holy anger. Now, in nature, great power can and, and should be greatly feared, and rightly so. The power, for example, of Niagara, flowing waters that have the, 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 the potential to destroy and, and to take life. How about this? The power and, and sheer force of a storm or an earthquake. The power of a, a ravenous, uncontrollable wild beast. And so there ought to be an appropriate fear that corresponds to that power, a, a certain respect and fear. Or let's say the power of a, a nuclear weapon. Or how about this, the power of the state. In our country, a, a delegated power, a power of the people, where laws have been created by the people and for the people, and they have certain power over citizens. And so there ought to be a corresponding fear and respect that comes as a result of this power for all who are under it. And to disrespect these powers, with reference to the state in this case, leads to your demise and will. Beloved, the power of God can be seen in His righteous judgments and in His holy wrath. This holy and righteous power was seen in nature and in the flood, where God in righteous judgment destroyed the world by floodwaters. Or we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain. It was because of their wickedness and their sinfulness that God rained down fire and brimstone, and there was no fear of God in their eyes. And thus the power of God's judgment and holy wrath was unleashed on those who sinned with impunity, or so they thought. You see, beloved, God is holy, and He hates sin. And His power is displayed in the judgment of sinners. He made known His power to Pharaoh and Egypt. Exodus 9.16, quoted by Paul in Romans 9. For this reason, for this purpose, have I raised you up, God says, that I might display or show my power in you, and that my name might be declared in all the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? The great king of Babylon, who was humbled. He was walking, up, he was walking in his palace, and he, a little soliloquy to himself, as it were. Look how great I am, what I have built. And then he was humbled. And God sent Nebuchadnezzar into the field as an animal. And when he repented, he was restored. And Nebuchadnezzar the king said this. He says, all in Daniel chapter 4, all of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does, that is God, according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar said this, And none can stay his hand or say to him, What hast thou done? None. None can stay his hand. He does according to his will. He cannot be questioned. Sinful creatures cannot say to a holy God, What hast thou done? 
when Almighty God, when He exercises the power of His holy justice and judgment, He cannot be thwarted. None can stay His hand. None can stop His hand or restrain His wrath. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so there must be a corresponding fear to that power in the creatures. Jonathan Edwards referred to God as the dread supreme. As the dread supreme. And we, beloved, all of us, every last one of us, we are, as you well know, sinful creatures. Rebellious, iniquitous. There is none righteous. No, not one, says the psalmist. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is none who understands. None who seeks after God. They have, we have all turned aside. Together we have become corrupt and unprofitable. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Every mouth is stopped. The whole world is guilty before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore we are subjects of His just judgment, of His good and righteous and holy judgment. And he has the power to carry out that judgment. He has the power to administer the sentence and the punishment for our crimes. Edwards said this, Sin committed against an infinitely holy God is an infinitely heinous act and deserves an infinitely long and horrible punishment. Beloved, his power is manifest in his judgment and none can stay his hand because no one, no one can stop his hand because no one is powerful enough. You would, sooner, you would sooner topple Mount Everest by blowing it over than you would restrain the hand of Almighty God. Well, as most of you know, pastors like to read, right? Well, they should. I, I like to read. I love reading. I have a book on my shelf. That was a hard transition, wasn't it? Well, here we go. I have a book on my shelf that has taken me a few years to read. And it's not because I don't like it I, or because it's too long. I love the book. Well, and it is really long, but not a few years long. It has taken me a long time because as I read, I can only take in so much at a time. And I have to put it down. The book is rich. And I'm constantly, and I was constantly putting it down to pause and to meditate and to marinate, as they say. In my estimation, by far, this book that I'm referring to is the greatest book that has ever been written on the person and attributes of God. That's a, that's a bold claim. Stephen Charnock, the English Puritan, wrote The Existence and the Attributes of God. And there's a chapter on the power of God. And Charnock argued that the power of God is the ground and the foundation of and for his patience. The power of God is the ground and the foundation for his patience. I was confused. I was confused, but I was intrigued. Beloved, when Adam sinned, when we sinned, when we disobey and walk contrary, when we live according to our flesh, contrary to God's good and holy command, when we violate His word and contradict His good and holy law, beloved, we subject ourselves to God's judgment. 
We commit crimes that deserve punishment, that deserve justice. And it is no wonder that, listen, friends, it, we, should be, we, we should be absolutely floored that God does not break into this world in judgment and wrath right now at this very moment. He can and he should. Justice demands a verdict. Holiness demands justice, else God would not be holy, he would not be good, yea, he would not be God. And so we come to the power and now the patience of God. God's power and patience. Because the only force in the universe that is powerful enough, that is potent enough to restrain God and hold him back, so that he defers his holy justice and judgment. The only power that is able to restrain the Almighty is the Almighty himself. God exercises his infinite and eternal power against himself in order to restrain what is just and holy and righteous and good. He defers the payment. He restrains by his own power. He restrains the power of his judgment. This, beloved, is the ground. This is the foundation for his patience with you and with me. Charnock argues that God's power is on display in creation. One aspect of his power is seen in his creative power, as God exercises his ability toward the creatures. His power is on display. But, but, it is power on an entirely different plane when he exercises his divine power to restrain his own holy judgment. Charnock writes, in the pardon of a sinner, after many overtures made to him and refused by him, God exercises a power over himself because the sinner has dishonored God, provoked his justice, abused his goodness, and done injury to all of his attributes which are necessary to the sinner's pardon and relief. God, he writes, exercises a power over himself. And so, beloved, God's patience is the exercise of his power against himself. Now, we see this by way of analogy. We see it in our own experience. If you are wronged uh, in some way, shape, or form, let's say, if you are defrauded or sinned against, you have every right, you have the power, if you will, to seek justice, to seek retribution, to right the wrong. Absolutely, yes. But it takes another kind of power, if you will, a more powerful power, in the exercise of self-control. To do good to those who persecute you and to pray for your enemies. Some of you perhaps struggle with anger. 
This is your sin. And so in fits of rage, you display your anger. If you struggle with anger, let me encourage you and speak to you straight. It's because you are weak. You have no power. No self-control. You see, beloved, true strength is always expressed in self-control. We say around my church, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness, but strength under control. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit produce what? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are empowered, as it were. Meekness is the power of control. It is a disciplined power. A man or a woman who cannot control his or her anger or lust or pride, a man or a woman who cannot control their tongue is not strong, despite their vaunted boastings. Such a one is not strong but weak. True power, true strength, beloved, is self-control. It is self-control. Now then, I said to you that God refrains and He holds back and He defers His wrath. His wrath is deferred. And it's deferred, beloved, because you see, He can't just sweep it all under the rug and let bygones be bygones. Oh, just forget about it and, uh, you know, I, I don't remember that sin. I, I, you know, I, I move on. He can't just let bygones be bygones. That would be wrong. That would be a violation of justice. It would be, a, if you will, a cosmic injustice. And this God would be unjust if He just swept sin under the rug. If sin is an infinitely heinous act, and it is, then it cannot just be swept under the rug or forgotten about. God forbid, for then He would not be holy and righteous. He would not be good. And so what God does is He defers His wrath he restrains by his omnipotent power. He restrains his just judgment. And when he is ready to release the power of his judgment, before he opens the floodgates of his holy wrath, he sends his son. His only begotten. So that as he exercises His almighty strength, His power, holding back the power of His holy justice, when that justice is finally unleashed, He unleashes it on Himself. Namely, His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. The Father's wrath completely satisfies we sing till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. This, beloved, is the forbearance of God. This is His endurance, if you will. This is His long suffering toward you. He is patient. He is patient with us. And in His divine forbearance, in His divine patience, He exercises the power of His mercy. 
over the power of his judgment so that it triumphs over his judgment as our brother James teaches us. God answers the force of his justice in the exercise of an even greater force and a greater power. The power of his mercy and grace. This, beloved, is the power of his patience toward us, toward sinners like you and me, like all of us. The most potent act in history is that act which restrained the holy wrath of God, such that he passed over sins that were previously committed. This is the power of the cross, Son of God, slain for us. Listen to Charnock one more time. Quote, in his judgments, he lets out his wrath against his creatures. In this, in salvation, in redemption, he lets out his wrath, as it were, against himself, against his son, as one as dear to himself as himself. End quote. And this, friends, is so like God. He is powerful and merciful. He is gracious. As he revealed to Moses, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. God, God does something very similar with Abraham. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. One more verse. Hebrews chapter 6. God does something like this with Abraham. In verse 13, it reads thus, that when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Look at verse 17. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. I will let you study this parallel passage and parse it all out for the details. But here, the example of God swearing, as it were, by himself. In other judgments, he lets out his wrath against the creatures. But in salvation, he lets out his wrath against himself, against his son, against one who is as dear to himself as himself, because they are one. Beloved, as we meditate on his power and the power of God's judgment, what's more, on the power of his patience now, of his forbearance, that he is long-suffering with you, Perhaps you will read Romans 1, verse 16, with new eyes, with fresh eyes, perhaps for the first time. Paul says, as you know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And while you're there in Romans, let's go to Romans chapter 3. 
the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. Paul here zeroes in on exactly what we have unpacked this morning. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short the glory of God. All! Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth, He placed Jesus forward as a propitiation, or some of your translations might say as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood through faith. Here it is. The purpose, to demonstrate His righteousness. Because, why did His righteousness need to be demonstrated? Because, it was in question, because in His divine forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. He was patient. He forbore. He suffered long. And so he had to put Jesus to release, as it were, what was righteous and just. But he did it so that he wouldn't do it on us. Dear sinner, he is so patient with you. He is not desirous that any should perish, but that you should come to repentance. If you are an unbeliever here this morning, do not test the patience of God. Do not test His forbearance. To do so is only to despise His power. In the face of a crucified Savior who bore God's wrath, do not test His patience. Do not trample underfoot the Son of God or count His blood, the blood of the covenant, as a thing defiled, it is to insult the spirit of grace. Do not test the patience of God. That would be evil. That is great wickedness. To do so would only demonstrate that there is no fear of God in your eyes. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, oh sinner, if you cannot be scared to Christ, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, If I cannot scare you to Christ, let me woo you to Him. Oh, how patient He is with us. So patient that He will wait, says Isaiah. Isaiah 30, verse 18, He will wait so that He might be gracious to you. In the exercise of omnipotent power, He will wait so that He might lavish you in His sovereign and omnipotent grace and grace. Do not test the patience of God, for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray together. Patient and powerful God, we come before you humbled. And more so, by your goodness and patience with us, than the fear of power. You have not treated us as our sins deserve, nor punished us according to our iniquities. This humbles us all the more and makes us hate our own sin all the more. Lord, we confess our sins. We confess that we are sinful. We are by nature children of wrath because of Adam our father, because of our flesh. For in our flesh dwelleth no good thing, 
But you, O Lord, are patient. Long-suffering, you forbear. You know our frame. And by your kindness, we're not consumed. Instead of judgment and the destruction of sinners, you sent your Son to die for them, for us. And so in your patience and forbearance, you passed over sins that were previously committed so that in your good time, you would send Christ as a display of your power and of your patience and of your kindness to save all who would trust in Him. And so God, all of our faith is in Jesus. And in Him we have great confidence that our sins are forgiven because that is exactly what you said and what you promised. Increase our trust in your Son. Increase our trust in the Word and the living Word. Glory to God Almighty, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.